Is this going to be recording video? Because I'm going to have to clean myself up if... Uh... <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. Special show in store for you today, following a, uh, a win versus the Edmonton Oilers. We've got uh, Phil Farber, of course, at Phil's Facts. We've also got uh, Andy Francis from The Andy Francis Show. Uh, if you don't follow him, uh, you're insane if you're an Islanders fan or if you like to make money uh, betting on sports. Andy Francis does a great job, and we are happy to have him here today. Welcome, by the way, Andy. What's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. I'll do my best because it's never great when when there's a lot of opinions that we we kind of run on the same side of the fence with. And the way things are now, you get so few pushback in any facet of life, no matter what it is. You know, it's I agree with this guy.com everywhere. And I'll try to play devil's advocate on some issues to at least make you guys defend some points, you know. By the way, there was this girl one time. I, I, I can I, can I just can go, I go riff, this man? This is good. Listen, thing? listen. Uh, Phil and I are on every girl. week. People hear us all week, so each and every week. So it's nice to have a fresh voice in here, a fresh perspective. And listen, if we want to have kind of a, if we want to get an idiot on the show that can bring you know more of a devil's advocate kind of point of view perspective, uh, we can get Daniel Friedman. There's plenty of people on Twitter that we okay, can get on the right. show. It's totally fine. All right, but this girl. I mean, if I said something, like, you know, these OnlyFans people, like, they really are going to regret this down the road. And then and then she'd say, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily true. I'm like, you think about it. Just, and I would exp- I would expend all this energy explaining, like, you got to understand, that person's not going to be that person in 10 years. Like, you know, the same way they say the, your frontal cortex stops developing at 25, so what you think at 21 doesn't apply at 25, we'll take that. I'd be expending all this energy, and then she'd go, well, no, I, I know, and I agree with you, but I was just playing devil's advocate, and i go, oh, cool, so the 40% of my day's energy I just expended trying to get you to understand that point, what happens to that now? So I'm usually not a huge fan of devil's advocates, but if there is a point to be made, I'll at least try, because it's never good when a bunch of people just railroad on one issue, because when somebody pushes them on a part of it, it allows them to highlight why what they believe is true. You know what I'm saying? No, I do. Listen, Phil and I are both married, so we literally said, I do, I will spend the rest of my life with somebody who will argue with me for no reason whatsoever. Okay, <laughs> we already have that in our lives. I don't need that. I don't need more of that. But uh, that's, that's that's fair. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, um, betting-wise, uh, I want to talk about tonight's game really quick. Uh, yeah. The Islanders have what, lost six, seven straight? I think it's six, right? Yeah. Six straight back-to-backs? Um, yeah. You on, know, his, on the second half of back-to-backs, yeah. Yeah, and the last o, time they o, had... 2 and 2 this year. The yeah, only no... time they got close was, I think... I think the Seattle game was the only one they actually showed up to, and they had the benefit of Seattle having the same situation of traveling on a back-to-back. I think they played in Colorado the night before. But the other well, three... You they, could argue they, Seattle they actually traveled more. more than the Islanders did that night. Right. I think they did. Anyway, so the last time the Islanders had to travel and then play a back-to-back was Montreal. They put up a stinker. I don't want to get into the Montreal game too much because I feel like, you know, we're going to have four or five games each and every year. Every team does this, by the way. Four or five games each each and every year where you just don't show up. That happens in an 82-game schedule. Yeah, Yeah, it happens. And we kind of thought this might happen. But tonight's game, 
it's kind of a game we, we I, I think we, we need. I don't want to say I hate the must-wins, like, oh, it's a must-win. It's not a fucking must-win until it's literally elimination game, okay, everybody? I'm just going to come yeah. out and say this. It is not an elim- it's, if it's not an elimination game, it is not a must-win. That said, this is a game that we really want to have, okay? The betting line, though, is kind of insane, I think, right? I, I was looking on your Twitter, Andy. Uh, well, Washington... In terms of their gameplay, and if you look at all the metrics about them, they're one of the worst teams in the league, and the eye test tells you they're one of the worst teams in the league. But in this league, you can have highly skilled teams like the Sabres and Senators almost in dead last. And then you can have teams who say, look, this is what we got. We're going to have to you know, fight and claw and try to win defensively. We're going to get cracked some games, but we'll just try to accumulate points in an ugly fashion, and that's Washington. But when you're looking at Washington – People had the audacity of showing the Islanders schedule saying, oh, this is a tough stretch that's going to show us who we are. Who? Washington? I'll play them 82 times in a year if you'll let me. Yeah, they are they're a team who's just scraping together points. I don't know if you want to lump them in with the Philadelphia. I'll put them way beneath Philadelphia. This is a team who's been trending downward every single year. You know, won the Stanley Cup. Then they had some higher seeds but haven't won around since. And then last year was missed the playoffs. Ovechkin's not as good. Everything's trending down, but Washington's favored to win this game. My guess is because Washington, I don't know, they keep screwing over the books. I mean, they keep winning. They went into Carolina, got dominated, weaseled a 2-1 to victory, and they've done this on multiple occasions. And I don't know where the books stand on the Islanders. They were home underdogs, but that's also because the books always love the Oilers and Flames. I don't know. I'm starting to think everyone who sets the lines is up there in Alberta or something because they have some major Alberta bias. But as far as your back-to-back thing, I think there are many variables when considering back-to-backs. Did you play in Detroit and now you're going to Anaheim like after, after that game? Did you have to claw back from a 4-1 deficit and expend all the energy and play an overtime game? Or did you have a 3-1 lead, park everyone in the third period, and you're mostly an okay team? And then who are you playing the next night? Are you playing the Kings or are you playing the Capitals? I think there are many variables to just say, oh, they've lost six in a row on the second half of back-to-backs because there are many other things you have to look at. Opponents, travel, are you at home in those back-to-backs? So this one, I believe, falls in the extremely winnable second half of back-to-backs because they had the lead. They weren't fighting and clawing one of those games like the Bruins where you went, oh, they're going to be exhausted next game. And they're traveling to Washington. So I think the ingredients make for an Islanders potential victor. I think Islanders shouldn't look at this game or Islander fans shouldn't look at this game and say, Oh, man, we're in for one of those Montreal efforts. I got a, lo- yeah. a list of things I want to go through, Phil and, and Andy, but, uh, you know, you kind of you, you, you bring up some points that I, I kind of got to want to touch on. To your point, people were talking about the schedule. At Washington, at Carolina, versus Pittsburgh, versus Washington, at Pittsburgh. That's how we close out 2023. Um, and one tough team in there. <laughs> there's only one playoff team in that mix. Pittsburgh yeah. and Washington aren't making the playoffs, in my opinion. No. They shouldn't. No. They shouldn't. No. How? How about this? How are they making it? Right. Who's not making it is, is the end of the day. Um, so are we on Are we on the Islanders tonight? I, I When I was giving out picks, since they're underdogs, I only feel comfortable giving out the Isles at plus one and a half because the mail-in is always 
a possibility, but I liked the over one and a half shots for Mike Riley, which we were talking about before this, and Kyle Palmieri. They have both of them set at one and a half shots on goal. I know Palmieri, anytime he gets an open look, he's not afraid to shoot it, and Riley's shooting everything under the sun, as Phil said before the podcast start. He's an Islanders fan's dream because you're an Islander fan. He just wants you to shoot the puck. He's screaming, shoot it. Even after they're celebrating the goal, he's still celebrating, shoot it. He dreams of shots. He lives for shots. He takes shots, and Mike Riley's been doing that, and one and a half shots is just such an attainable thing. Sometimes if you're not liking a particular team or game or feel you got to go into the props. I know people, they call themselves raw doggers, a term that I learned where they only want teams to win and overs and unders. But sometimes if the best situation doesn't present itself, you got to go peel into the props there and find a couple things that have a nice chance of hitting. Yeah, I'm waiting for the books to start offering like a Bartuzo under half a shot per game. Right, they brought in two defensemen. There's who a are just big, big market for that. There's a big market for the Bortuzzo unders, right? He does not Quick even question, have a single Phil. shot on goal yet this season. I mean, I think um, he had one with the. Blues. Okay, well, let, let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. There's a, like I said, there's a lot to cover here, and I want to get through as much as we possibly can. Uh, Bortuzzo. Last time we spoke, Phil, you know, he had just joined the team. We had seen him play maybe one game. A lot of us are just familiar with him when he played with the Blues and he, and he pummeled Pellick's head into the wall. Guy's a tough guy, not maybe the most mobile player in the world, uh, although he did skate down Ross Johnston versus the Ducks. What, now that we've got a few more games under our belt, what do we think about Portuzo? Where's his place in this lineup? Is he our seven? Is he our eight eventually when everybody gets healthy? Phil first. Yeah, I think at best he's our eight. He, he serves a purpose. His purpose essentially is to be that big right-handed reliever for Mayfield and Pollock who could kill penalties and play semi-responsible defense in his own zone. But does, I mean, okay, and, yeah, he fills the minutes of killing penalties, but does he kill penalties well? Because every time I see a goal scored, he's on the ice. He's f- like flailing about in front of the net. Ducks. Yeah, I, again, I wouldn't say he's the most effective guy. And for a seventh round pick, you're not exactly going to get, you know, some some stud defenseman in there. He's essentially just a band-aid patchwork piece of defenseman because they just don't cr- uh, trust Grant Hutton to play these minutes. And, uh, you know, they think that Bolduc benefits more from playing with a veteran as opposed to playing with another young player. And there's some logic behind that. I saw a lot of people saying, well, I think he's supplanted Mayfield on the depth chart, which couldn't be farther from the truth, right? I know Scott's not always pretty all the time, but at least he could make the odd play in the offensive zone. He had 21 or 22 even strength points from our blue line last year, which was second to only Dobson. He's got some underrated skill that people just completely disregard. And offensively, Bortuzzo brings absolutely nothing. So in allowing for guys like Mayfield and Pulak to heal, I think he has value as a seven or eighth defenseman. But once everyone's healthy, I don't want to see that guy near the ice. Yeah, interestingly enough, and I don't want to bring Andy in here. And I know uh, if Andy and I did disagree on anything over the past couple of years. It was Mayfield. Um, I was actually of the opinion that Mayfield probably should have been moved that deadline a couple of years ago where he still had some value. I know, Andy, you were always kind of like, yeah, listen, it's not the prettiest thing during the regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs, uh, Mayfield's uh, just a a horse, and he he gets the job done. He's been terrible this year, but I'll be the first to admit, I I think it's 100% because of the injury. I still think he's a pretty good defenseman, um, albeit maybe a a bottom pair defenseman, and at $3 million, that's fine. Um, He also has some uncanny chemistry with Barzal. Uh, You know, Barzal's peelbacks, you need that that defenseman, you need that fourth player to come in the zone, because Barzal always finds that guy, and it, it seems like if it's not Dobson, it's almost always Mayfield. 
I said last year I was okay with them moving him. And as far as Mayfield, I'm not going to defend his play during the year because it's not suited to regular season hockey. It really isn't. But I, I need to remind people this all the time. There are two versions of the game of hockey, the regular season and postseason. There are, it's truly two different versions of the game. And if you watch Scott Mayfield against Carolina, played fantastic. They let more penalties go. They let more physical play go, which takes me to the take on Bortuzzo, where you see him, where he'll be rather ineffective throughout the course of the regular regular season when there's less space, less time, and forwards are always helping the defense a little bit more and back-checking hard, and you need to clear the front of the net and not allow cheap goals in the playoffs, and the refs are less likely to call something where you're really roughing someone up in front of the net. He will suit that style of hockey, and if we think back, and this is so important for the playoffs, if we think back when the Islanders made the playoffs the first time with Trotz, they swept the Penguins. Who did they lose in that final game? They lost Johnny Boychuk, the sixth defenseman. They wheeled in Thomas Hickey, a sixth, one weak link on your team, in your defensive core. They'll just target that pairing all series long when they have last change at home. And the Islanders, I'm not going to say that's the only reason, but that's one of the reasons that they got swept because they weren't able to roll out those six defensemen. Next year, what happens? Lou, he trades for Andy Green, and then that allows them to have that seventh defenseman. So they start without using Green in the bubble. Boy, Chuck gets hurt again. This time, that doesn't stop them from going to the Eastern Conference Final. And yeah, they lose to Tampa after losing Pellick and a couple other players, but having those extra defensemen who you're not scared to actually put in there because it's hard to stay fully healthy throughout the playoffs. Usually somebody's going to miss some time and to have Bortuzzo and Riley and bring them in with hopefully the other defensemen eventually coming back. It is crucial for any playoff run. And I think it, I think it's a very, it's part of the reason that I now have hope that I didn't have earlier in the year. Phil used to try to convince me, no, this team's going to be... I go, Phil, say it out loud. Aho is going to be out there every single, every third shift in the playoffs. How's that going to happen? He goes, they're going to get someone. They're well, gonna that, get was, someone. that was that. Said, to, to both our you credit, know? by the way, we actually said, we both said, hey, listen, defensive depth uh, is, is necessary. We like the forward core. And we both were on the on the, uh, on the the fence of saying, hey, listen, we believe that Lou will acquire a defenseman. Now, we never thought that defenseman would be Mike Riley off waivers for nothing. Now, I don't know if that's enough, and we can get into that. Uh, but you brought up, uh, you know, playoffs being different than regular season. And it's so true. I mean, for, for Islander fans, I'm not even talking about the way, way back Islander fans. I'm talking about even the Islander fans that are maybe in their 30s right now. How about Alexei Yashin? I mean, you're talking about Mr. Regular Season. Where the fuck was he in the playoffs? It was so many guys, too. So many. The rules, by, by the way, that's always, you know? that's each and every year. How many guys yeah. just, they rack up the points, they earn their contract in the regular season, and they just vanish in the playoffs. Remember Rick Nash? He was under a microscope every set. They went nuts on him, the Rangers fans that was, even when they were having playoff success. And as I called in, uh, on my way to work, I was just so pissed off on the radio. I'm like, let me call. And I got through on my first time, and there's a legendary call of me on NHL radio where both the radio hosts didn't have an answer. I go, yeah, I guess that's kind of right. I say they changed the rules so the way you saw them succeed during the regular season, 
How can you act shocked when they don't put points? They're hooking, grabbing, and then they're not able to get the space. And if you're not giving them the additional power plays, yes, you're going to see fewer points. I do feel in the last couple of years, they have called more penalties and you are seeing more power plays. But there's a reason the goal totals in all games throughout the year are six, six and a half, sometimes seven, and then playoffs, you'll never see over six, really. Six and a half the max when it's the Oilers. It's a full goal lower. It's because it's a different style of hockey. By the way, and, if you want to follow uh, Andy you know, on Twitter, he is at Andy Francis. That's F-R-A-N-C-E-S-S. Uh, great follow. You actually put kind of a, a bit of an essay in terms of uh, how to win and why fans, most of our fans, and all fans really, are, are wrong. You know, when they, when they scream, we need more goal scoring. We need more of this. We need more. And you put a whole thing and you said, hey, listen, at the end of the day, defense wins. And I guess a big part of that is just simply the playoffs are different than the regular season. And I know, Phil, you've been on that kind of as well, right? I mean, it's, it's defense that wins, right? We don't need another sniper. <laughs> listen, more goal scoring is always good. It's, you know, you're not going to turn down more goal, more goal scoring. But with the way that the Islanders were able to advance in these previous playoff runs it was all due to their defensive structure and i know andy loves to highlight game seven against the flyers 18 shots against they never let the flyers into that game at any point they won from the moment it was one nothing that game was already over the flyers had absolutely no juice they were not able to penetrate the zone the gap by the way remember that remember when we used to if we were up one nothing the game was over if we were up three one if it was up three one i could go to the bar because i know there was no way we were losing what Listen, the fuck? Last night, God, three, I'm sorry. Three last goals night. used to be automatic for the Islanders. Three but, goals was almost an automatic win. Oh and now, my God! I think they've scored three plus in 16 of their last 17 games, and it's been dicey at times with the blown leads. Um, you know, dicey. They're, they're not able to lock it down as much. Last night, I thought they did, even though the shot count was comical. It was like 16 nothing at a certain point. I thought they did a pretty good job of keeping most seriously of the shots to the outside. Okay, you and I are gonna. You and I are gonna have for the first time in a while. You and I are gonna disagree. I thought last we'll night. But I, I don't. I didn't think from a defensive standpoint that they were giving up much. No, no, they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. You, or but you can't just try to sit, attack. On, you can't sit back like that. You can't. You just listen. The best offense, the best defense, is put the fucking puck in their zone. Four check. Sure. You can't sure. score from two hundred feet I'm away. In terms of in, in terms of suppressing chances, I thought they did a better job last night than they've done in recent third periods. You'd love to see more offense. You'd love to see them treat a power play like a power play as opposed to a two-minute keep away like they did late in the game. But there have been other games this season where there's just been ridiculous amounts of slippage against the Sharks, against the Hurricanes. I can name a bunch of others, but Andy... Ideally, that's true. Pinning them in their own zone is. But pinning them in their own zone requires two four-checkers to be deep and then maybe even a third, and if you do that and they're able to peel it away from you, they're going on an odd man rush the other way. People never realize what you have to give to what you want. Yes, obviously, you want to be cycling, having them pinned in there. It's great, but if you have a two-goal lead and you quote-unquote shell up, the part of shelling up that nobody really understands is when they make a mistake, you usually get a three-on-one the other way. That's a part of it that, yeah, we didn't get to okay. see last night. No, no, we did. We actually had, like, I think we had three two-on-ones the first six minutes. Just none of them, we didn't get a shot on net. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. So you can't say zero shots on net. I will take zero shots on net with a couple odd man Russians where they chose not to shoot opposed to, you know, just a bunch of shots. And no, no, it, it, listen, it, quality, it, came, it could have easily been 4-1. 
I'm just not in favor. We saw this in the playoffs last year versus Carolina when they went in the third uh, period. What and was the went- lead? What was the lead? It was one nothing. Yes, right. I agree with you. you okay, can't. but when I just you think- have a two goal lead in the third, you should be able to hold that. You know. Yes, and I agree with what you're saying. You have to, if you are going to protect the lead, yes, you're not forechecking two, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. To me, maybe that's something you do with 10 minutes left in the game, eight minutes left in the game. To do it for an entire period against a a team with the firepower of the Edmonton Oilers, I, I think that's a mistake. I think you're asking, especially, I just don't like the mentality of the team that we have seen in the third period where it almost feels like a Herman Edwards esque, uh, thing where it's like hey let's not play let's play not to lose let's just play it really conservative let's play not to lose worst thing comes to worse we'll get to overtime and we'll get our point at least and we'll take our shot I just feel like let's have I mean uh, let's go for it in the fourth fucking down you know what I mean let's 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 put their let's put our foot on their throat and and, and end the game you know second period we're, we're doing great we're dominating yeah we might let up a goal we might I just let's play hockey though I just think to do that for 20 minutes and to be outshot 15 nothing, and yes, Phil, you're right. To your point, they, we didn't give them a ton of amazing opportunities. But there's got to be a happy medium where we still play hockey and we don't turtle for a fucking period. Well, they, they haven't been turtling. What you saw last night was the first time they tried something else because they've been trying to play quote-unquote regular hockey and it's been a lack of attention to detail. Things like zone entries and assignments and it's these small type of things where I feel like they did that This last game, they defaulted to kind of that sit-everybody-back mentality because what they were doing wasn't what they're trying anything new. And they were giving up shots the previous way where they were continuing to try to play normally, but they were blowing all those leads. I wouldn't be surprised now if they said, okay, this worked for us if we have a multi-goal lead. I think it all depends. One goal lead, you're right, especially against a team like that. But if you've been blowing leads left and right and you got a two-goal lead, yeah, at some point, in the third, I would I would mostly just have one guy forechecking and do the best you can to collapse. I, Make them, you know, block shots and stuff like that. I mean, you could make the argument, I'd rather either have, give me two forecheckers or give me zero forecheckers. Give me zero forecheckers, yeah. I'll go back to the New Jersey Devils neutral zone trap, and I'll, and I'll just force them at the red line to either dump it in and then I can get it out and make a play. Um, I'm not a big fan of the one forecheck system, but, you know, you know, it's a casual, it's a floater, just like not not to chase him behind the net, but no, it's no, that right, guy. Right. You know, that was one thing that I was kind of surprised, Phil. I saw it last night. I was, I was like, okay, we're up three one, and one of our forwards is chasing. I forget who it was. One of our forwards literally chased uh, their defenseman behind the net. I'm going, this is not the time to do that. If they it's want ridiculous. to sit behind the net, let them sit there. What are you doing? That, that's what I'm saying with the attention to detail. It's so frustrating. There's, if you really want to get frustrated, go to the Islanders games, sit up in the 300s with the guys who are yelling shoot all the time, and where you can see the whole ice. Because well, if you see what the camera shows you, you're missing a majority of the ice. And you're seeing some guys taking themselves out of position and granting easy access into the wait, offensive zone. Are you telling like, me that shouldn't be there? Andy are, you, Andy, are you guys telling me that, that the fan in the 300s is just screaming, shoot, shoot, shoot? And and the guys on Twitter, that's not everybody. That doesn't that that doesn't make up one hundred percent. No, those are the carnies. It's the classics. <laughs> I mean, it's I don't I don't blame them because in New York, you got to really think about it. Long Island on the outskirts of New York City, where that building is. Hockey for most people growing up, it was their fourth sport, if any. 
most high schools didn't offer hockey. So when it comes to the ins and outs of the actual game, I don't blame many fans for just saying, well, I know that that scoring goals is what needs to happen to win games. So I want the closest thing that resembles scoring goals. Anything else is moot points to me. I don't care if a guy makes a good play on defense and strips a player of the puck. What does that do for me? That the score is still 0-0-0. So I understand a certain amount of it, but that's where a lot of the 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 conflict the intra conflict comes between islander fans in my opinion because if you were asked them to diagram a play and assignments the same way i know a lot about football but i will not speak above my pay grade and talk to like a a coach about a linebacker assignments and audibles and stuff like that it's the same type of thing if you were to ask a casual Islander fan to diagram assignments and different, different power play types. They have no clue. They have no clue. They just think that they know based on their kind of bare bones assessment of what they see on TV. You know, it's like, by the way, you know what? Listen, everybody, everybody knows the quote, or if you don't know the quote, you should Wayne Gretzky's famous quote. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. I'm just going to let everybody know the goaltenders when Wayne Gretzky played sucked. They were all terrible. Okay, oh, of course they were just. They, I, I just watch clips of shots going in from the '80s, and you'd be like, "What are they doing? How did these shots go in?" Now, listen, it's it wild. was all relative. The, the the sticks were awful back then. Those are the sticks I grew up with. It, it is, but I do think that a lot of fans out there that you know, uh, they go to a couple of analytics sites and they're like, "Hey, this is what the card says, so it must be true, right?" Yeah. I read it on the internet, so it must be true. And, you know, this guy says Simon Holmstrom sucks outside of the PK, so he must suck. The thing is, I can make a full mixtape. The problem is, any one of these analytics guys, put them on a show with me like this. And the problem is I have with all the Twitter people, they can't defend what they have to say in real time. They, they have to kind of point, like, what, what, what a... What was the answer when somebody said, where are you, where are these being derived from? And he just said, oh, um, well, we, we talked to some assistant coaches and they kind of, what was the, what was the wacky answer you were talking about before of where those numbers were specifically pulled from? Yeah. I mean, they have, they they had Holmstrom's PK numbers in like the 30 some odd percentile, which is more reflective of the unit. And what they said is that you can't really isolate a player's contribution on the penalty kill this is what they said in speaking with experts because it's more a product of system than individual that, you know, than, than anything else. Wait, which- so Phil, you're telling me that the analytics community has gone to lengths to figure out a way to isolate a player's contribution to a team in five on five because they can do that, right? Quote unquote, they can do that. They, they know how good John Tavares is, despite the fact that he plays with William Nylander and, and plays in the power play with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. They can do that, right? But they can't isolate a player's contribution on the PK. Weird. Well, I, well, I just want to know what they will say if I present them. Like, for example, last night, who drew the penalty to tie the game? Holmstrom with a move, faking out a defender with a deke, forced him to be tripped, sets up the power, power play to score the goal. Strips McDavid from behind the net, they go the other way. He scores, obviously, the goal to put them up to multiple other odd man rushes. So if I show that to them, what is their answer for, oh, this guy is not contributing to the game in a positive manner? Stripping the Hart Trophy winner, scoring goals, and doing, so he's doing things on both sides of the ice. No, this guy is, like, the problem is. And, and by the way, your, your tweet you put out there. What they say there? Yeah, your, the tweet what you put the, out the other day. What do they say there? The uh, and we saw the, when they played the Devils a little while ago, where he ran down Jack Hughes. How many how many players can do that? 
I mean, and, and, and you and I, we, we were all talking about it. Uh, Simon Holmstrom has literally played a season now, right? Uh, last night, Ray Ferraro said, and he was astounded. Like, the quote is, like, and this is only his 81st game. So to have, like, 17 or 18 goals in his first, a player who realizes that that is not an easy accomplishment, especially when you're considering no power play time and the limited ice time he had in the early portion of the se- the uh, early portion of last year, where it was like 11 minutes a game. So when you take that in uh, into consideration, so this is a guy who hasn't played a full season. If I were to tell you a first round pick has 18 goals in his first 82 games with limited ice time, no power play, everybody is going to say this is this is a great thing to have on your team. You'd but be happy if he was. You'd be happy if that was the fifth pick overall. Never mind my the 23rd th- pick. My only thought is because Isles fans were unbelievably spoiled with the craziest rookie year ever from Barzal. They somehow think that's the norm when they can look at Bo Horvat's rookie year, Mika Zibanejad's rookie year, Jesper Bratt's rookie year. Go down the list. Everybody's rookie year. That's what they look like other than number one overall type picks. I wonder what Nico Heischer's even looked like. And, and then forget about guys like Capo and Lafreniere and stuff like that. So you're talking about the first 82 games. By the way, Jack, Jack, Hughes, Jack Hughes. of trajectory is wild. Jack Hughes, uh, who was the number one overall pick and is, you know, top five, six player in the world right now. His rookie year, uh, seven goals, 14 assists, 21 points, minus 26. We don't care about plus minus, but still minus 26. Um, if, you, if you were to look into uh, his first 117 games, that's how many games it took him to get to 18 goals. Now, I am not saying Simon Holmstrom is, is Jack Hughes. He's not. But no. if you're not happy with him, um, if you could be Scott Wheeler on, on Twitter and continue to, to defend your pre-draft rankings of Simon Holmstrom, that's fine. Um, I don't know. I, I have no problem well, saying I mean, I that. No he told me that we'd still be – he told me that we'd be better off with Kaliev today. He said, well, you know, my, my rankings weren't wrong. I'm the guy who pumped Robin Salas tires. But here, I got the exact answer from Andy and Rono. It was because after t- talking with some professional hockey players and coaches, we realized those special teams are more about systems than individuals. Parentheses, not always, of course. And also, five-on-five five game is around 85% of the game. That's why PP and PK are apart there. This is oh, just oh. answering a question as to why the PK numbers are not necessarily rolled into a player's defensive Hey, impact. read those percentages again. What percentage of the of the game? Um, they said 85% of the game is at five on five. And what percent percentage of the scoring is at, at five on five? Or, yes, you can try to use that. This is why I, I, I uh, people, numbers don't lie or statistics don't lie, but you- people lie with statistics. They want you to use that, but what percentage of scoring occurs on those special teams <laughs> instances? Way more than the 15% upwards to 25 to 30%. So a third, essentially, of the scoring comes in those highly concentrated times, which also takes me to something that I wanted to talk about during the playoffs, which I can wrap all this together with Holmstrom playoffs. You think of the Carolina series. What lost that series for the Islanders? A couple of blown leads and special teams. Because, like we said, the goals are always down, always down in the playoffs. Special teams is at that much more of a premium. We saw the New York Rangers get fully outplayed by the Carolina Hurricanes. The power play solely won them that series. Throughout the the mini dynasty that the Tampa Bay Lightning had, so many times they're playing teams like Carolina, these low-scoring games, 
and they'd get one or two power play goals, and that would be enough. And they were automatic on the power play. Colorado, when they won the cup, power play goal after power play goal. It can cost you or it can make it for you. And we saw the Islanders not be able to hold leads, so a defensive issue, and they were getting power play goals scored on them left and right and weren't scoring power play goals. And it was a six-game series that ended in overtime. That makes the difference. So the reason I like a guy like Holmstrom so much, I keep comparing him to other Swedes of that nature, like William Carlson is as just as important to the Vegas Golden Knights as someone like Jack Eichel. Everything they need him to do, complimentary scoring, penalty kill. He can be on the top power play, which he's had to actually step up and do when they when they pull Stevenson off it this year. It's an all-purpose player, which helps the machine go round. You need that type of player. Okay, you need him to be defensive, he'll do that. It's like why I love Datsuk the most. And during the 2000s, before we got to 2010, he was way better of a hockey player, not offensive player, hockey player than Ovechkin and Crosby. He was winning best defensive player of the year almost every year and put up 100 points here and there. Penalty kill, shootouts was nasty. Yeah, Pavel, Pavel Datsuk. Led the power play. Best player in the NHL. Yeah, Your casual fan. Nobody will say that. Yeah, Pavel Zero Pavel Datsuk, by the way, was a sixth round pick. Henrik Zetterberg was a seventh round pick. Uh, you want to know why the Detroit Red Wings were an absolute just absolute wagon? Then you look at sixth round and seventh round picks, which were, I mean, Datsuk, uh, among people who know hockey, is well renowned as one of probably the most underrated hockey players of all time, and certainly one of the best hockey players of all time. He just did everything. Uh, an absolute magician on the ice. By the way, you mentioned Nico Hishier. Uh His rookie year, 82 games, he had 52 points. He had actually a really good year. 20 goals. Yeah, but I think that year he was, I mean, I think Taylor Hall did a lot of the work. Right, but he, re- no, but he really regressed, actually. It's funny. So his first season, he did well. The following two seasons, he actually went from 20 goals to 17 goals to 14 goals by his third season. And it looked like, oh, maybe this guy is just a bust. Like he played well his first year, and then obviously he's been, uh, he's been really good. Uh, you, brought, you, you know, great, that, that uh, kind of fact is, about... Uh, great fact about Datsuk made the playoffs every single year of his career, and the moment he retired, they haven't made the playoffs since. And, and by the way, that brings up all the experts, all the all the pun. Now, listen, we make fun of sometimes, and I know some of you viewers are those people, and I I apologize, but it is what it is. Okay, sorry, not sorry, um, but I do make fun of some of the pundits out there as well. You know, listen, we love Cam Robinson. Phil and I have had had him on our show. We'll have him on again. I think he does a great job. But for the most part, the guys who are analyzing the draft. If they were really, really good at it, they'd be working for a team, okay? The experts out there that all thought, hey, Carolina, they're a wagon. They're going to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, cool. When? Okay, Buffalo Sabres, watch out for them this year. Okay, great. The Ottawa Senators, oh, yeah, they're good. What did they do last night? I mean, they, they were up 3 nothing. Yeah. And they blew that. They just fired their coach. The leads, Buffalo. Buffalo just let up a nine spot on Columbus. You know, uh, what you should do is talk I don't want about I don't want to call out by name, but there was a certain person who used to work for a team. What, do, what does it rhyme? Question that what? What, what? What does it rhyme with? Just you won't say the name. Just rhyme the name with something. Well, people will figure out. Don't screw anybody. Yeah, it's just uh, David Juricic was scratched last night. And load management is something that teams are doing with some of their young players. The Ducks are doing it with Leo Carlson. I know that the Boston Bruins are doing it with Patra. He didn't play against us because they didn't want him in a back to back situation. I guess they have some some new internal data that's showing them that these young players shouldn't start out by playing a full 82 games. And there was someone who was just going off on Columbus for sl- scratching Juricic before last that. night's game. They don't know what they're doing. They're ruining his development. And then they go up and they put nine goals. So 
kind of shows why organizations don't necessarily trust the loudest voices on Twitter who posture themselves as experts in, in every regard as it pertains to draft status or development and things of that nature. But I, I did want to ask Andy something with regard to special teams. We were talking about that before. I know you had a specific way you wanted the Islanders to set up their power play going into the season. They didn't. Things seem to be working out right now. I want to yeah. know if your opinion on the current formation, how it's set up, has changed your mind on what they can do with this unit and can this carry over throughout the rest of the season potentially? Obviously, I don't expect them to clip at 26%, but do you think this is a unit that will be dangerous in the playoffs this year as currently constructed? Well, they struggled heavily throughout the early part of the year, and a lot of that was predicated. The reason I wanted it set up a different way, that was all based under the, the foundation that Barzal is just not going to shoot anymore like he did in his rookie year. He's lost confidence in his shot, and he's always looking to distribute. We saw that so many times. Even Islander fans know the shoot it out. They're right on that occasion. They He did not shoot it as much as he should have when they gave him free access to the lanes. So if you're a penalty killer, like I'm, I'm an opposing coach, I have to look up the Islanders. If I'm looking and this guy is shooting hardly ever, I'm always going to shade to the pass. So I wanted to put Barzell in a position to pass it to as many people as possible. I did not know that Barzell was actually going, going to let it rip this year. And when you let it rip, it opens up all the link. You can have a bad shot. And if you just take it and it gets through to the net, that's what creates ruckus, rebounds, this, that, and the other. But if you shoot, it has to make the other players respect that a shot can come, which gives you those passing lanes and opens opens uh, them, opens those passing lanes for those other players. And earlier in the year, wasn't really shooting. You saw it continue to struggle. Then there was an FU moment where, you know what? I'm blasting these one-timers. Didn't score on many of them, but... It opened up things elsewhere because that has been a possibility. Barzal being able to shoot a little bit more has freed up space in those lanes to be able to get it to those other guys. And that is what created those extra millimeters, centimeters that a player needs to get those passes through. And probably the most pleasant surprise, because it's not like we're seeing... Brock Nelson blasted any one-timers because that was a big issue. So I wanted Barzal over there distributing to all the righties. Something that I, I, I'm i hopefully optimistic for, but I saw him make a pass last night that I've never seen from Brock Nelson. An immediate into the slot, in between two sticks, like razor-thin margin pass to Bo Horvat on the power play. And he did it, I believe, the previous game. The Horvat power play goal against Boston and the Horvat power play goal in the last game were the first two where I said, no, that's a real power play goal. I know, I know this team can get on a good stretch, as they did a couple seasons back when things are clicking. But, like, I know how the Rangers run their power play. It's always going to be sustainable that way. As long as those players are there, it will always be sustainable along with the Lightning. But the Islanders, they weren't showing a continuous – like, how are they getting these chances? Where are they coming from? But if they're able to work it through those seams and Barzal continues to shoot, it should it should keep them at a good level. The key to I don't think – you know, he, they also, have, he also had that one to Palmieri against Columbus – I think that was the first time I saw Nelson this season. Yeah. Read a pass like that. And by the way, Paul Nelson is to Nelson to Palmieri at the back door. Yeah. 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 yeah Nelson yeah. Nelson is a, a brilliant playmaker play, play, playmaker. I mean, he, the guy can dangle in a phone booth. I mean, for a guy who's who's as big as he is, 
it, the way he can yeah. handle the puck and stick handle through people, it's almost Mario Lemieux-esque. Now the problem stick handling, yes, yeah, but right. But needle passes through. That was never his game. That, that's that was my point. Game. I mean, listen, he's not Mario Lemieux, so he could stick handle like Mario Lemieux for a big guy, but he could not. He always he he was kind of a lot of times he just give up bad passes or a lot of the shorthanded chances that Dobson was being blamed for, and they were partly Dobson's fault. All started with a Nelson bad pass last year. A lot of them, at least, did. Um, yeah. But when I look at a good power play, when I look at a sustainable power play, there are things I look for. Can we get the puck in the zone, zone entry? And obviously, that's Barzal. That's you know pretty much all Barzal. But I've been so encouraged by Dobson because last year, and we saw this during the we saw this uh, versus Carolina. Um, Dobson was just so predictable. I skated up to about the blue line of the red line. I spin around and I throw it back to Barzal. Every friggin' team knew it. Stahl stole the puck and went in, and you know we know what happened there. Now, Dobson, he just the confidence. He's reading the play more. Okay, you're going to give me a lane? I'm going to skate it in myself. I'm going to make a play. So, Dobson's, you know, obviously you need a good power play quarterback. And Dobson's improvement, Dobson's confidence has been just leaps and bounds. Um, you mentioned yeah. Barzal's shot. And, and I'm kind of encouraged by that, the fact that Barzal, you know, now, now in his mid-20s, is still trying to improve his game. The fact that he's working on this, the fact that he is, he's, he is um, you know, cognizant of the fact that this is a weakness in his game and he's trying to improve, very Sidney Crosby-esque in the sense that he still wants to improve his game and he's bringing new elements to his game, which I think is awesome. Um, but if you get, you know, listen, you have, you have a zone entry, you've got a, a great power play quarterback, and you've got Barzal who's not, no longer holding on to the puck for 10, 15 seconds just waiting for something, and they're actually moving the puck around you can have a sustainable power play. The question I do want to ask both of you is, what defines a good power play? Because I know that a lot of fans out there just like, well, they score, right? Results-oriented. And I don't think that's always the question because that's always no. the answer. Because a lot of times, listen, I can have five, six grade-A chances on a power play and not score, or I can have the shittiest power play ever, and I think there was one a little while ago, maybe. I don't, I'm, I, you even said it, Phil. I got a good point. answer for you. Go ahead, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because a lot of there's, times there's no better answer, and that's that's just me patting myself on the back like Go an ahead. absolute asshole. And Pat I just away. thought of this while you were saying, but a power play that you know what we're trying to set up, and you still can't stop it, and we're going to get that opportunity, and we're going to score every good power play. We know what they we knew. They were trying to set up an Ovechkin one-timer. But the whole power play was based around that. And you can't just stay away from Oshie there in the high bumper or whether it's the Lightning. You knew they were either looking for a Stamkos one-timer or Kucherov to find maybe point in the high slot or Kucherov one-timer distributed from Hedman. You knew their outlets of scoring. You know the Rangers are trying to set up Zabanajad's one-timer. But there aren't enough guys on the ice who can be able to cover if Panarin wants to cut it towards the net or if they're going to set up a one-timer to Fox, and those other options. You know what we're doing, and you can't stop it regardless. And that's what the best power plays do. That's where I still think we're, we're, we're not going to be in that upper echelon because we don't have a go-to way to score a goal. A lot of this stuff, as you've seen, is perfect tic-tac passing. But if I was to say, how, like, how are the majority of these Islanders power play goals going in? We had a perfect tic-tac-toe to Palmieri. We had the perfect tic-tac-toe to Horvat last night. And doing that on a consistent basis is nearly impossible. We don't have that direct path to power play scoring like some of those other teams do. So I do feel that this is more likely dry up is not the right term, but probably you're looking at middle, middle. When, well, when I mean, they're not going to go to 35% clip. I mean, I, I think yeah, that's yeah. No, but they're not going to stay at 26. They're probably going to. I would say regress middle. probably somewhere back to around 2021. 
which is where I thought they'd be. I, I didn't think they were, they shouldn't have been as bad as they were last year at 30th, especially once they got Barzal back. Um, they were definitely not as good as they were the year before when they were 12th at like close to 23%. But I think I could see them being somewhere. I could see them being 12th. I mean, really, tell me, name, yeah, go, they could be, they tell could be me, 12. tell me, usually don't forget, around Phil, tell me 10 power plays that are better. advice. They did take some of my advice by taking Lee off the power play and giving a guy who has the option of cutting it to the net, scoring with his stick and deflecting uh, and continuing to play make with Palmieri. And, that, so and by the way, that's huge. Off Lee and they did put Palmieri in Lee's spot, which is what I asked for. Well, it's, and it's last huge night, in a sense that... able to get off a heavy, heavy wrist shot that leaves a rebound for, for Lee to clean up. Lee only out there because Nelson had a skate blade issue that kept him off the power play. So I guess a fortuitous skate blade issue last night. But, which is, but by the way, it's just weird because they can pop in those skate well. blades in about four seconds. Um, but yeah, I mean, Palmieri, listen, Palmieri can do what Lee does and then do more, which is which is great. I, I don't know. I mean, okay, listen, the, the Islanders aren't going to be Edmonton in the power play. They don't have those kind of players. You know, the Islanders aren't going to be uh, that kind of team, right? We know that. But I mean, are there really 10 power plays out there that are better? I mean, how many right now? Listen, and, and six months ago, seven months ago, I would have never said this. But how many power play quarterbacks are there that are better than Noah Dobson right now? And by the way, all three of us were wrong about Noah Dobson. We all, we, none of us liked him. But the guy has been an absolute 100%, horse. 100%. It, Last yeah, night versus... 100%. How about, 100%. The, play, how about the play versus... Uh, I know uh, they, they actually mentioned it on the broadcast. But the one-on-one versus McDavid that he takes him out and then he throws him to the corner, I'm like, that's a toughness we haven't seen from Noah ever. Ever. Yeah. And typically, like, people like to point out, well, you need seven years to see a defenseman go. They used something from the 80s when the game was unbelievably more physical, and they tried to just throw that onto a modern player when that's just not the case at all. Like, I mean, Luke Hughes is going to have immediate success in the league. So many guys, it, they have immediate success, or at least semblances of it. I, I'd and, argue that defense know, still needs a couple extra years than, than, than forwards. The game is a little bit more complicated. The game is a little tougher, especially in the playoffs. Um, yeah, you know, you're still you're still hundred percent. You know, you're still a twenty the, the twenty year old is, boy playing with men. Yes, if and many of those issues, if they're physical, we're forget. It was how many mental lapses. I always in the in the first Chris Campoli video, I praised the offensive growth of him, and I said this guy's Chris Campoli on defense, and I just want to see some sort of defensive growth, and. <laughs> people only got mad when the offensive stuff dried up. But as somebody who's always thinking long-term, you can't have gaffes in 2-1 playoff games. Like when we played the Bruins and it's 1-1 going into overtime and one mistake is the entire game. Ask Tristan Jari when he coughed that puck up to, to Bailey. But you can't have little things like that. So I was focusing in on that. He's been great this year. There has been... There's been growth on the defensive end. I mean, there, there are moments, there are turnovers, but I've always been willing to forgive the turnovers if you are doing that on the offensive end. Like I said, as long as we're not playing that trot system, trying to win two to one where every mistake could cost you a game, I'm willing to take turnovers if you're contributing on the offensive end. He's done that and more. We are a third of the way through the year. A third of the way was where we were through that last season where – you know, so I do. I'm I'm somebody who likes to see things over a sustained period. If I was displeased with somebody, I'm gonna come off that, but at least allow me to see it to the end of the year. But he's been great. I mean, he's contributing every time he can. And as I was telling Phil the other day, they're starting to mimic 
that 2020, once they're healthy, the 2020 pairings where they had one guy who can join the rush on every unit. For that team, you had Pulak, who did it, Taves, who absolutely did it, and Letty, who absolutely did it. So there was always a threat. I said their best forward in that season and 2019 was the extra defenseman who was always joining the rush. Now Mike Riley is always joining the rush every time he can. And Noah Dobson is obviously all the time as well. So when you get Pulak and Pelik back, call me crazy. I believe when you see your other defensemen and teammates doing that on consistently, you watch Ryan Pulak join the offense way more than you saw in these last two years. I like it. Hey, listen, Mike Riley. Uh, we've got a, we have a pretty decent sample size on this guy now. You know, obviously we liked him a couple of years ago. He hadn't played much hockey. Didn't know exactly what we we're going to get. Uh, uh, you already mentioned, hey, listen, uh, bet the over one and a half shots on him each and every night because that's that's free money. But wh- what do we think right now of Mike Riley? Phil? I couldn't. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, ahead Go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. Come on, man. I, don't, I, I hate hijacking shows. <laughs> Hijack- listen, Mike, listen. Mike if, Riley if, yeah. is, you know, I, I, I said at the time, if we're able to get two-thirds of the player that he was on that Boston team from two years ago and from three years ago when they initially acquired him before they signed him to that extension, I thought it would have been a huge victory. I didn't really understand, and this is something I, I talked about, Andy and Andy talked, you know, was telling me about the potential redundancy of his skill set to what they already had in guys like Montour and Ekblad, but I still didn't fully understand how it was possible that he couldn't stick with Florida just based on what we've seen because I think he's been phenomenal. I think the ability to transport the puck out of the zone using his feet as opposed to trying to make blind hope passes and hope plays has been tremendous for the team. Outside of the first game with the Devils where he tried to make too much of a play and go end to end with it and coughed it up and it went the other way for a goal, I think he's been brilliant in that regard. He's brought very necessary necessary skills in the offensive zone, both at five on five and on the power play too, where he's he made he's made a couple plays uh that have gotten us goals. The uh Pullock one time or the other night he had that behind the back pass to um Nelson that set up the Horvat goal. He's been everything that we needed him to be and more during this time period where we're missing so many defensemen. And he's quite literally the player I was pining for once we ended up having to trade Letty uh before the expansion draft expansion draft. I I saw him in that playoff th- series playing on a pair with Carlo, right? You have you're talking about a guy who Bruce Cassidy used in his top four on multiple playoff runs, right? Bruce Cassidy, who's a Stanley Cup coach, one of the best coaches in the league. If that is the opinion of that coach, of this player, um, it's not a surprise as to why we're seeing him play this well. Phil, you and I touched on this, and I want to ask you, Andy, because you already kind of alluded to it. Pelican Pollock are healthy. Mayfield is healthy. Take a look at this. I, I can put Pelican Pollock bet together, and uh, the sum of the parts is, is far better than them separate. Those two together are so much better than when they're away from each other. You put Pelican and Pollock together. You got Romanoff and Dobson together. You've got a one and a one A in that group, and then you've got Riley with Mayfield, and it's kind of like you know Mayfield actually gets the mobile defenseman. You put Ahu back as a seventh defenseman because he's comfortable playing the left and right side. If you get an injury, you got Bortuzzo as well, depending on who gets injured. You know, if Riley gets injured, you got Ahu coming in for a game. If if it's Mayfield who gets injured, you put Bortuzzo in there. That defense. Is that a defense of a contender, if healthy, or does Lou have more work to do? 1,000% it is. And you know me. I said we're not going anywhere with the current defense. I'll be happy to tell you. But 
when you think about the ceiling of Pulak and Pelic, if they they don't have to shoulder so much of the offensive burden or, or shoulder so much of the defensive and offensive burden, which they've kind of been asked to do, and then you just adding somebody like Riley is like adding Nick Letty. You're not asking him to defend at all. He's a third-pairing offensive guy who's going to contribute massively. And everyone who called the Islanders old, slow, and then Phil would show his charts. You know, we got the uh, you know top 10% top. You'll never see how quick a team is if out of the back end, they're slowly looking around, trying to, and the players are waiting for them to break it up. But when you see Riley hit that gas and now the forwards are streaking with him, that's how you see a team's speed. And they jump off the screen. You're like, whoa, whoa wow, they can skate. Yeah, because it starts from the back end. And we had so little of that. And I was telling Phil that maybe this, this kind of player was available because on a team like the Islanders, where we only had Dobson who was doing that, there's a massive need for it. But other teams, a lot of them have major mobile defensemen who can, you know, transport the puck from their back end into the offensive zone, and maybe they struggle a little more on the defensive. And if you think about teams like Ottawa, Buffalo, like that, and it's a, just a perfect fit for what the Islanders needed. They needed more, like of what they're getting from Dobson, what they used to get from Taves, and now I just have a sneaking suspicion we're going to get more of what we used to see from Pulak. You can call it a sniff with these noses next to me over here. But I think you're going to see a better offensive version of Ryan Pulak, who everyone's been crying about these last couple of years. We may see the return of it. Offensively, how do we stand? I do want to bring up a player that I feel like I always wondered why he didn't make it. And then when we got him, I was really excited about it. I'm still excited about it. But I've been watching him the last few games, and I'm starting to understand why. He is basically a perennial 13th forward in the NHL, and that is Gautier. Um, I have seen flashes of the speed, of the size, of the potential, and that's why he was drafted in the first round. That's why we look at him and go, oh, and it's, it's why this guy gets chance after chance after chance, and he should, and he definitely deserves to be on an NHL roster. But there's the, the consistency is just not there. Um, I just don't think he does enough to warrant a regular spot in a lineup. Maybe a fourth liner. Yeah, it's fine, but I don't think he hits enough for the size. Um, I don't think his four, his four check is there some games, then some games he just vanishes to me. I'm like, where is he? And then I notice him when he makes takes a stupid penalty, right? That's when I notice him. Another dumb penalty by Gautier. What are you doing, okay? Um, I, I Somebody, it was funny, uh, Steph just put out an article of, like, hey, Zach Parisi is a need or is he a want? And then it's just funny. Then we go out and play the Bruins, and we let up 19 power play goals, and we blow a game that we should have won. That's going to happen, obviously, but that was a frustrating one, especially uh, since they don't have uh, Zaka and they don't have uh, the defenseman. Help me out. McAvoy. Thank you. They don't have McAvoy, and, and we just, you know, we're just we're playing a great game versus the Bruins. We just gave them that one. That's just That was really frustrating. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I watched that, and I'm going, God, this team needs Zach Parisi, Okay. And to me, Parisi back on the third line with Holmstrom and Pajot is just an absolute. That is a line nobody wants to play against. We've already talked about Holmstrom, and I think Pajot with those three predictable players playing the same style. Uh, you know, nobody wants to play against that. And then, and then maybe Gautier can, you know, maybe he can spot Cal Clutterbuck once in a while when Cal needs a break. I don't know. And you, um, but I, I'm, I don't, I'm curious what you guys think because everybody's like, oh, we need the speed of Gautier. Yeah, the guy's fast, but it feels like. He almost feels like a wide receiver who can only run the nine route, you know? Cool, you can run the go route. Can you do anything else? Because eventually that doesn't work. Angval. 
That's what they said about Engvall. Yeah, but, but Engvall can put them play. In the right position. Yeah, but Engvall can. Nobody, nobody was saying that. No, yeah, Phil was. And if you watch Engvall play, Engvall can play. The guy is the guy is a sneaky good forechecker, despite despite not being physical, despite his size. The guy can pass. The guy makes plays. Go to. I don't. I don't know. I mean, you tell me I'm if, wrong. If you stuck him on a different line, you may see different things from Engvall because Engvall seems to have like him. They have some unspoken solid chemistry on that line. I would need to see Gauthier more. Like, I mean, we're still a third of the way into this season. He hasn't played a bunch of the games. No, he's We've played like 12 a games. a difference in a few. And also, many teams, I remind people this every year, many teams rely on a grand total of zero from their third line. I think as Islander fans, the same way I said we were spoiled with Matt Barzal's rookie year in terms of expectations from rookies, we were also spoiled with constant third line production through some of those playoff runs and including into the, like we act like the third line should be like, yeah the second and third line second line should score third line should score did you hear what the announcers were saying with Edmonton like they're begging please one game just one in in the next three weeks can we get a single goal from the third or fourth line meanwhile Islander fans have just come to expect yeah, it. yeah. Like I mean Casey that, Casey's that, like, 20 goal season like that doesn't fourth lines don't score no, no, I, I get you. Right. Listen, Gauthier's got two goals and three assists in 14 games. He's only played 14 games. Oh. I'm just not – here's the thing with Gauthier. I don't care about the scoring. I just care that, listen, he's not going to kill penalties, right? He's not going to help us in the power play. So I, when, it looks to, when I look at Gauthier, I'm just going, okay, when you're not scoring, the one thing that you should be able to give me each and every game, this is, this is something you can control, is just you should be forechecking your balls off, Okay. With his size and his speed, just forecheck your balls up. I don't see that every game. And then I see some you're, stupid you're penalties. You're asking a first-round pick to, to, to now instill third-round third pick qualities into well, him. Well, yeah, you're, like, listen, you're 26, to, you're 26 years old. Like, you want an NHL career. This is what it is right now. Okay, yeah, you're I'll, not, I'll, you're not a first-liner. Just go ahead, Phil. I'll get, I'll, all right, my take on it is if Zach Parise wants to come back to the Islanders, absolutely take him back, right? Yeah. The only reason you'd get him is because you're in a unique situation with a player who knows the system, knows the team, wants to be here, and probably has about a three to three and a half million dollar value and is willing to come in on a deal that fits within your cap situation, right? Otherwise, you're not getting a guy with Zach Parise's skill set uh, skill set and abilities. They need him because the penalty kill has been bad. He's a good penalty killer. He's someone who helped them close out games on many occasions last year. He had four empty net goals last year, a couple empty net goals the year before. That's an area where they're lacking. They have zero, which is the only team in the entire league that has zero, which is a problem. So... Absolutely, all day, every day, just because of the utility of Zach Parise and the chemistry that he had with Pajot last year, you take him back. It's very hard for me to judge and evaluate Gautier game to game when, like you said, he's played 14 games and he only gets five on five situational play, which is like nine, nine and a half minutes a game. Sometimes it's 12, sometimes it's even eight. So you're talking about someone who's really not been able to establish himself in a consistent role. So in a game against the Bruins where there's tons of special team play, right? There's Seven power plays total, eight power plays total. That's going to affect the amount of shifts he's going to get, and it's going to affect his consistency. The fact that they don't use him on the PK, I think that's a problem. He, to me, looks like the prototypical guy, long reach, big size, fast. That's the type of person I would want to teach how to penalty kill, but because they're not putting him in those types of situations and he's not doing it, it makes more sense to bring a guy like Zach Parise back into the fold. Would Gautier look different if he got 14 minutes a night? If he got 12 minutes a night, plus he killed penalties and played five on six. If he got a little bit of power play time, which I'm not saying he's deserving of that now, maybe, but to 
I'm not saying write him off is, is what you're suggesting. No, 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 no. Um, no. And I want to make sure people realize that. Like, listen, when I criticize Sorokin for letting in a softie, okay, I'm not a Sorokin hater. I love the guy. I got his rookie card. My my kid loves the guy. I, I love him. I want him to I, – I, listen, I think he's the exact goalie we kind of need in the sense that, you know, he's the goalie who can get hot. You know, when you think of, like, the goalies who can get hot for six weeks, and that's what you need, he is a goalie that can go on fire, okay? I'm not a Gauthier hater. I love the acquisition. We got him for nothing, okay? If he sucks, you bury the contract. Who cares? You make, he, costs, he costs us nothing. He's fast. He's big. He can skate. I mean, give me all day. I just want the consistency. And I know your point, hey, he's a first-rounder. You're not asking him to change his game. Listen, if he wants a career in the NHL. No, I said, I said that I'm explaining why you're yeah. probably not seeing the thing. I'm not saying, I'm not asking him anything. I'm saying the reason you're seeing what you're seeing is because it's hard from a guy who's been developed this whole way, his whole life. Hey, now act like a third-liner. Like, he's probably going to need some time to, right, to make right. that adjustment. I mean, over his last yes, five games, point, by the way. Yeah. Over his last five games, I'm 10 minutes in, 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 in time, 9.39, 11.02, 10.03. Last night he got injured, obviously. Um, What's his status for tonight? I would doubt he's playing, but... Because he... I was going to say, tonight's the type of game you could use someone like him, right? Second half of back-to-backs, maybe one burst is very important in a game like this. So someone like him, I think, would be beneficial on a night like tonight. But Parise... The same thing I just said about boy Chuck leaving and getting swept with Hickey and needing Bortuzzo if one of those guys misses time during the playoffs. Same type of thing with Zach Parisi or Gauthier. Every single line should have a theoretical, in a perfect world guy you could slot in. Like saying, if someone on the first line misses time, which guy deserves the elevation? Right. Who's, who's our Swiss Army knife? Can you, like, yeah, you're, yeah. who's the, the joker? Who's the... Yeah, um, who's like the uh, the roaming savior? Who's the Jamal Adams? Who's the Joe? no, no, totally, Joy totally. Listen, yeah, the the, the infielder, know? the infielder who can play second base, shortstop, third base. You know, hit two sixty yeah, and not and give me playoff give me, series playoffs. I'm with you. Well, nobody survives the whole thing. Hey, Andy, so let me ask you this: Parisi would be very beneficial. I've got an idea. I, I had an idea. I, I, it'll never fly, and I don't know why. Okay, okay, but being being a hockey player, being a hockey coach, I've always kind of wondered this at the NHL level with an 82 game grind. It's tough, especially you look at back-to-backs and stuff and, you know, some older players, some guys with some wear and tear, especially the way they play hockey. It's always been in the NFL, you see how they rotate defensive linemen to keep them fresh, right? Yeah. And I always wonder in the NHL, why don't we don't do this more often on a game-to-game basis? Why, we, if we brought Zach Parisi back, why wouldn't you have, take our bottom six energy guys, take Cal Clutterbuck, take Hudson Fashing, take Gauthier, take Parisi, and play them all three out of four games. Load management, you're suggesting. My guess is because when, um, if things, I would I would say you're correct, definitely correct if things aren't going your way. But I think when everything is somewhat working, like the Isles, their their 12 game stretch right now is very good. I think you're very hesitant to mess with anything too much because. You don't want to look at like, oh my God, we started tinkering with that and then look what happened. So I think when things aren't going so well, maybe you should do things like that, but then people will actually rip you, right? Like imagine sitting Paul Mary. Why why not have the balls to actually just be like, listen, I'm the coach. Listen, have the balls to just go, yeah, I'm going to make a call that I'm going to make a decision that might be controversial. It might bite me in the ass, but I think this is best. I'm just thinking, I mean, 60 games of Cal Clutterbuck, right? 60 games of Parisi, 60 games or whatever, you know, three out of four, 75%. Just give him a break once in a while. Keep him fresh. Keep yeah. him hungry. I, I would do that with Pelic a lot because yeah. like, the, the more central you are to the team's success and 
and however injury prone you are, oh, I absolutely would. A guy like Palmieri, you're correct. Like if it's, you know, there was a tough game like the, and you need to rest him for a night. I don't know how that comes across though. It's it's weird. It's like, it's not acceptable in a sport until it is because when things don't go right, people, you know what they're going to say? Well, why, why'd you sit Kyle for this game? Couldn't you have used a little more offense? You lost by one goal. So, you know, a lot of times they say coaches coach just <laughs> to avoid scrutiny, which is why like many times they won't go for certain fourth downs or, or try crazy things. It's why Belichick was always the first to do things because other coaches were always scared for their job. Maybe there's a little bit of that there. Like I'm going to bench a normal player, a quality player to give him rest for, you know, the theoretical longevity when it could make me look way worse. And the, you know, everyone is about what's right in front of their eyes rather than down the road. You brought up coaching. Uh, Phil and I have both been pretty vocal about Lane. Phil, have you changed your tune? No, I've not changed my tune. Okay. Uh, Andy, what's your, your take on Lane? My take is uh, you should remove the results. If you remove the results, and just look at everything in the meat and potatoes, that's a pretty good indication. Like anybody who says, yeah, but they won. <laughs> Isn't this great coaching? I just want you to realize the level of a donkey you are because it's like saying, you know, you avoided <laughs> missile fire in the air and <laughs> aren't I a great pilot? No, you just avoided death for the first couple of weeks. Keep going up there and see what happens. And you see a team who blew leads in two games in that Carolina series. And then you see all those blown leads, and because it's the regular season, you go, oh, yeah, we're back, we're back. I got news for you. The Cardiac Cats, the Florida Panthers, the number one offense, almost the best offense in league history. There's no lead they can't come back from. Almost got shut out in every single game against the Lightning, went down, never came back once. As soon as you face a real team with real defense, all this garbage stops. They get a lead and you don't come back. You give up a lead, and the game's still up in the air. You're at a major disadvantage. The blown leads and the lack of creativity that we've seen in the last two years with the line combinations and whatnot, that, to me, is an indication. Also, the lack of passion, the lack of accountability. You can say what you want about Brindamore. You're seeing all these things come out just because, I mean, they're not, they're, they're, Two points behind us, and it's like the house is burning over there. That's what accountability is called. This goalie's going to keep playing that way. He's waived. There's players-only meeting. This means a lot to that team. And you just, with that Sox interview, it's like, what is it? You still don't know anything about this guy after a year and a half. And it's just like, it's randomness. It's pure randomness and the best thing i could think of is it's like you know how jerry jones only hires a coach who he's not going to butt heads with that's what they why they say he hired mike mccarthy and not somebody who would push back like harbaugh on certain things you kind of get that feeling with like lou and lane what lou wants he's gonna get i couldn't believe that they put lee out for his five on six again last night on as the second shift I can't remember who they had on the first tip. And then I see Lee come out. I'm like, oh, my God, he's doing it again. This man just doesn't have a clue. Most Islander fans, they feel the pit in their stomach. They know. They know there's something very not good about these blown leads. And they know something needs to be done to address it. Well, How look, could all pulling, these leads pulling be your goalie, blown? Pulling your goalie, even if with, with a two-goal deficit, with 5.15 left in the game is very unorthodox. And I don't – Yeah, I was I watched that, that Oilers versus um, Lightning game. 
They should have listen. They should have pulled the goalie. They should have pulled the goalie with twenty minutes left. Yeah, I mean, they that's, What's the that's scouting right there. Not they, scoring an empty net goal, by the way. They did one back what? in nineteen eighty six. Don't the Islanders have an absurd streak of not being able to score an empty net goal? Like all their wins this year, when they've been up, they haven't been able to score. They had zero this year, but last year they had a ton. Last year, I think they had 15 empty net goals. They had a lot. Which, by the way, I I want to point out. already is 12. I do want to point out, yeah, and you pointed this out on Twitter, Phil. For those of you who are like, oh, the Islanders aren't scoring enough still. They need more scoring. Be like, hey, listen, give us five. Give us five empty net goals this year, which is pretty pedestrian, to be honest. Give us five. And you know, and so yeah, I our numbers are really out. high. If you if you strip out empty net goals, the Islanders are somewhere around eleventh or twelfth in league scoring. Right. It's, Again, you can't you can't do that because empty net goals are important and they do count. But it's something that we need to get. But Edmonton, I mean, that's the one thing that's now been scouted about the Islanders is you could pull your goalie extra early and you won't have to pay the price. My only concern is that the next thing that teams are going to realize is on an odd man break, all you need to do is just cover Holmstrom. Body hug Holmstrom, tackle Holmstrom, whatever. <laughs> let Pajot beat you, right? One of these teams is going to figure out. Let Pajot right, don't let don't let the pass across. Shoot. Well, Do not for let that puck get to it's, it's always different. Shorthanded many times. Their defenseman's a little bit tired. He's been out well, there. It's not for only a that. They're keep not it, thinking the same or, way. Or it's a, or it's keep in mind, their defense. Back. Right, it's a forward back, yeah. or it's also their yeah. offense defenseman. Think about it. It could be yeah. our worst defensive defenseman, and def- because it's they're there for the power play. Um, it is the one thing that's so discouraging to me, and, and, and you brought it up. You know, results-oriented thinking is just idiotic. I come from a poker world and a betting world, gambling world, where it's like, no, just because you won the bet or you won that particular hand doesn't mean you played it well. doesn't mean you made a good wager, okay? Um, and same thing goes for life. Same thing goes in, 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 in sports as well. But the one thing that's so discouraging to me is when I think it was Steph who asked him, hey, uh, any thoughts about, you know, end of the, end of the game, you know, why we're keeping and giving these up. And, he, and and Lane's answer is like, well, these guys got the job done before, so they should get the job done now. Um, and why he's so slow to making changes, we're like, yes, they got the job done before. But that doesn't mean that they're going to continue getting the job done now. And that's how you end up with Josh Bailey for 60 games, right? Thank you, right. That's why Josh, right, Josh Bailey's still on the fucking power play. What? Because he did it before, okay? Right. He did it before, so let's just keep him in there because that's what worked before. At some point, you got to look at it and go, well, it's not working now. So if it's not working now... I think the exact now, quote, by the way, I think the Bailey quote he had last year when people asked him about that, you know, Josh has 550 career points or something like that. He's a guy who's had lots of production over his career. It's like, who cares? Who cares? Right, let's fucking, let's let's roll Mike Bossy out of the grave because he fucking scores goals too. I mean... Yeah, there, was, there were 40 Reds in a row in roulette. Now there's more <laughs> of a chance Red will come on because I'm an absolute asshole. Like, I, I just don't... Oh, I don't know. I never asked you guys if... I imagine we try not to curse... Oh, curse away, man! I don't care. It's fine for nah, me. I don't care. I'm trying to get better at that. You I'm know? not. I'm. Hey, listen, it's a, it's a podcast. That's what it's here for. You do TV. I do, I do TV. I do radio. I do internet. But you just know your audience. This is fine. Cursing here is good. Um, but yeah, to my to your point though, I mean, Anders Lee. Well, is he defensive? Is he responsible defensively? Absolutely. Is this a job that he could do two years ago? Absolutely. Is it a job that he can do right now? No. I think it's quite clear, right? Cal Clutterbuck on the PK. At what point do you look at it and go? Maybe, maybe my personnel is the issue. Maybe I've got some other better. I have some other better options that are on my bench. Maybe it's not my system. Maybe it's just, I just need to make one change. And why he is so loath to even try something different is really discouraging to me. Yeah. And and by the way, I love the roster. You brought it up. Is the defense, if healthy, uh, a contender in defense? I think so. Um, you know, if Preezy comes back. 
Is this offense good enough? I actually think so. I mean, does Lou make a move here what, or there? What, what would be the main issue? What what are people still complaining about the offense? No, no, like but I'm four saying goals a night. I, my 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 point is, you know, is there a move? Is there a trade deadline move that Lou needs to make? And we can get into that later on. Is there something out there? Who knows? Maybe there is. Um, but I'm how just, long is this thing? What do you mean later on? No, no, not today. <laughs> not today. No, not not today. No, Dave is talking okay. about later on in the season. Later on in the season. I'm like right now things are going. It's fine. We can see what happens in January. Do we have an injury? Do we need to address something? We can go there anyway. Um, my, my concern still is, you know, to me, what holds us back from being contender, simply put, is our coaching. Because as long as that's not changing, and it's yeah. not changing, let's be honest, if he hasn't been fired yet, he's not being fired. Um, and if he does get fired, it's because we've, we've lost 11 in a row, and we're out of it. So that, that's the issue to me. And I do still think that at the end of the day, when we go to the playoffs, and we're up against the Rod Brindamores of the world, and the other great coaches out there, we're just going to be outcoached. It's on the players, yeah. The same way the players have figured out this power play on their own, as they were talking about on that Spit and Chicklets show, where they said <laughs> Barzell and they had to diagram up a new play that ended up working. The same way we saw them drag out the same failing five men last year, no matter how bad it got, no major alterations. The same way they're dragging out the same penalty killers. They ride things into the ground, hoping that they come out China on the other side like they run it through the bottom and hope they eventually see the other side of the planet and they're going see worked for our power play and now they're just going to do it with everything oh my gosh we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up in a second Phil I just uh, can you imagine just them them working on the power play together and Lane walking over go hey guys what are you doing no, nothing Lane it's okay just go <laughs> okay. ahead nothing Please. I think that's the uh the Paul Mary goal they were talking about that the three of them drew that up together Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, well, uh, uh, we got the guy, we got the Capitals tonight. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they show up. Uh, a win tonight would be big. That that would be big. Yeah, I think they're getting cracked in Carolina on Saturday, like truly cracked, because it's like there's something bubbling with this Carolina team, and they're holding themselves accountable. And destroying Vegas at home last night might be the catalyst. They've held their opponents. Like Kochetkov now, he's played fine. They've held their opponents to one goal or less in a couple straight games, and they had Vegas held to one in the third last period. Or last game, they were up like 6-1. Yeah, they gave, they gave in a couple late goals. But they're starting to round into form. I, I do not like our chances on Saturday. It would be a very pleasant surprise to win, but I really would hope that the Isles get two points tonight. Hey, uh, rapid, rapid fire before we go. And, of course, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Andy Francis, at Phil's Facts. I'm at Tuck on Sports. And uh, we do certainly appreciate your support. If you have any questions for us, you can uh, send them during the week. We'll be back next week. Uh, rapid fire, uh, I just want to go around the league, Andy, for you. Just tell me uh, for real or just fake, you know? Uh, you already mentioned you think the Flyers are for real. Uh, you think the Washington no. Capitals. When did I say that? You said in the beginning the Flyers are actually a pretty. No, good he team. said he he said he believes in the Flyers more than he does the Capitals. He didn't say the Flyers are for real though. Ah, okay, okay. So Flyers, yeah. you, you're not you're not in on the Flyers. Fl- Flyer Flyers would be like you know how in um, in um, Gladiator you get you get uh, Caesar and it's a gift the thumbs up or the thumbs down based on what the crowd says. My thumb is staying towards the side because we know Tortorella can get the most out of these rosters. It's just going to be hard for them to continue to do that 82 games. Phil always alludes to Hart dropping off in the second half of the year. I don't know if that was a result of Hart playing worse or the team in front of him potentially like giving up as the season goes on. We'll see, but you know they seem to have juice, and we know that their teams 
can can play that way for a few years until it starts to wear on them. I'm a hold on them. Yeah, they don't. They don't have the defense the Islanders had back. You know, back in the first couple of Trotz's years. But the, the coaching is is it makes me feel like they're a, sort of a, very similar to the Islanders. Well, the talent isn't quite there, but the coach is getting as much juice as he can out of that orange. And and I don't yeah. think they're going away anytime soon. Okay, uh, the Boston Bruins. You play defense. You're always real to me, and they make it difficult to score. I know we didn't see that in in the Islanders game, which ended up being a wild one. But for the most part, you got to earn your corn against them. And I weirdly would prefer this Boston team over the previous Boston team who thought they could, if if the time came to it, they can outscore themselves out of their issues. Teams who know their limitations actually help them win games in the long run. They, They don't have a plethora of scores. They know they have to rely on their goaltending and play stingy defense. That's going to be their path. Any team who plays that way is is a nightmare to deal with. Florida Panthers. I, and I, I bet they'll be in on Lindholm too. I know Colorado is someone that's rumored to be in on that. I think they're going to be in on a centerman. I um uh, you said the uh well, who's the second team? Florida Panthers. I'm in on them. I've been watching them play uh like they lost a game in Calgary the other night. They thoroughly outplayed Calgary. They shut down Edmonton Edmonton. They have a very good home record. Like when you actually look at their roster and Another year under this coach, they're not playing the cardiac cat. Once again, I'd prefer this Panthers over the number one president's winning cardiac cats who don't give two rats asses about defense. This version of the Predators would beat that better, ver- quote unquote, better version. I'm sorry, not Predators, uh, cats, Panthers. Cats, Panthers. Yeah. animals. Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> it's so, confusing when there's different I, animals. I, I get like it. them. Okay. I like them. I, I do like the Panthers. Uh, New Jersey Devils. Oof. <laughs> this is Andy's favorite team. This is not, I mean, they've been full, no defense frauds for years. They they have so much talent, they can outscore their issues. But I think the teams who go down this path, the Senators have talent, Buffalo has talent, and the Devils are just another team who has talent to me. They are way closer to pretender. I don't see, I mean, their path to go ripping off a ton of straight wins it's just going to have to be through mega offense because they're clearly not changing it. Another blown lead on home ice last night. Six goals to the duck. Are what's changing all this? Yeah, you can. You not can. Much you, you, you mentioned. Me. You mentioned the difference between regular season and playoffs. You know, the Devils right now, if anything, are built for the regular season. So it could only get worse if they make the playoffs. Oh, they got obliterated by a. a z- a 40% Carolina yeah. who were missing. Remember, we knocked out a bunch of their players in the first series, and they got killed by Carolina. So, yeah, the Devils, they would be the least of my concerns. Like, uh, those teams, like, buy low on the Devils, not me. Detroit Red Wings. The Patrick Kane uh, the, the, led. The, the, the biggest scam, they're the biggest scam going. Them, the Sens, Buffalo. Well, hey, listen, the Red Wings, the-, the Red Wings are plus 11 goal differential. I mean, the Senators are... You know, I mean, the Senators are... Yeah, but they, they ran that up really early, though. Yeah. I mean, n- nothing, I think they lost six who, out of their last seven games. It's all coincided the with the Kings. They too early, like Paul Walker and Fast and the Furious, and now all the Vin Diesels are passing them by, saying, too early, son. You're seeing... I mean, they can... I guess they can, they can get it together, but they're another team who's just hemorrhaging chances, hemorrhaging goals against... I mean, what was it? Four against the Ducks? They were down 4 nothing on their home ice against the Ducks after they got Larkin back, and after the Ducks just had to play the night before. This is inexcusable. And at what point do these rebuilds become disasters? Like, 
Do you rebuild a rebuild? I don't know, but uh, it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, last two teams I'll cover here. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, plus 44, the biggest goal differential in the entire league. They're currently in second place, just one point behind the aforementioned Vegas Golden Knights. I'm going to hold them in that same area. I held the Flyers with a much higher ceiling, but just how I feel about them is still hold. Because to me, it still is a third of the way through the year, and I just want to see how sustainable their style of play is because you get mixed signals. They'll get a 6-5 game with New Jersey at home, but then all of a sudden they'll play like the, these 2-1 to tricklers out of nowhere. So I'm trying to feel like, okay, is Tocket taking them in a different direction opposed to the way they've been playing these last couple of years, which has been a disaster? We saw them have that one nice stretch under Bruce Boudreaux and then fizzled back to – they returned back to the losing ways. Are they? Is that going to happen again? I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because – this ceiling has been better even when they were playing uh, well with Bruce Boudreaux. I need to see him, I'd say, through through a good another 25 games. So I'm on hold with them. It's funny. Dom over with the athletic, Phil, mentioned that the, uh, the first time he's ever seen a lose-lose trade, the Bo Horvat trade. And meanwhile, Vancouver, well, he, they turned that first-round pick into uh, uh, Hironic from Detroit, who's been, who's been amazing. He's been great for them. Yeah, yeah he's been yeah. great, and, and obviously Horvat has been uh, fantastic. 11-game uh, point scoring streak. Uh, also worth mentioning that we did stop Connor McDavid's uh, point scoring streak last night, which is always uh, interesting. And uh, I'm here in Southern and California. And what does that tell you, by the way? Why did uh, why wasn't Hronik making as many contributions in Detroit? Right. Maybe Eisenman's not, not as good. Maybe Eisenman's not, not the magician we all thought he was, right? Who knows? Well, um, there comes to a point where you have to you have to at least question it. Yeah, you wondered say, did he get lucky a couple times? Remember right? that he got co- co- he was a, he was brilliant for getting co- Kochetkov and then signing. I mean, how can you be smart signing Peron and um, Cop. Andrew Cop to to decent extensions in that? There's only one worse, and you know who it is: Anaheim choosing to sign Kalorn it's and strong. Ryan Strom and claiming Ross Johnston off waivers. Yeah, I mean. At least, listen, at least Anaheim, I will give Anaheim credit, at least Anaheim's go, at least they, they are aware of the fact that we're not winning anyway. We've got to get to the floor. We've got to get to the salary cap floor. I want to bring some good veteran character guys, you know, learn. We're not winning anyway. Detroit is actually trying to win. They're right. trying to build a winner. So I'll do that. Um, we'll stay in Southern California, which is where I am right now. The Los Angeles Kings. I'm actually going to the game tonight. Uh, they've, been, they've been phenomenal. Um, it's, despite, despite, by the way, despite the Philip Dubois trade not really working out yet, they have been phenomenal. Pierre Luc, not Philip. Pierre Luc Dubois. Oh, thank you, thank you. What did I say, Philip? Philip Dubois. That's fine. Well, don't worry. I just called the I called the the Panthers the Predators. There you go. There you go. Now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pierre Luc. Pierre Luc Dubois. Uh, despite that trade not really working out so far, they've been phenomenal. You think they're for real? Hundred percent for real. The sign of real to me is incremental gains year after year. Phil's an early buyer, and I'm sure with stocks, that served him well. But when it comes to NHL teams actually winning multiple playoff series, you need a little extra juice in there. You need something that gets fortified. Two tough Edmonton playoff losses later, I think they're ready to make that next jump. You're seeing the gains. You're seeing some of those players become better. Then they're making these additions. They added Fiala last year. Fiala now playing well on a game-to-game basis, and he also missed the majority of the playoffs last year. They're slowly building all in a winning direction, 
as it's getting a little bit better each year. I guess what's tough, though, is they still rely on Kopitar and Dowdy so much. So they're going to eventually, pr- probably in short order these next two years, need, need, need to come up with a you know plan what the, what's going to happen with those two. But as far as this year, in, in a league that's completely wide open, like them and Vegas and Dallas, and I'm sure by the end Colorado will be fine, but they're amongst the best teams in the league. They have to be. Maybe on the lower end, maybe they're not quite as good as Vegas, but they're they're right there amongst those best teams. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up. I, I did mention that by the way, and Phil, I think you 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 agreed with me last year. We talked about this how this year's this feels like the year where like a surprise team's gonna win the Stanley Cup. It feels the same way this year. Like we don't have there's no there's no Tampa Bay Lightning 2020 Tampa Bay Lightning teams. There's no Colorado yep. Avalanche that had Nazem Kadri as their you know their next line center. That just there's, there's no team like that. Every team's got a hole in it. Yep. It feels like. Yep. Yeah, and even Absolutely. last year, you're you're seeing the Bruins up there, like, and you could say, all right, what happened ended up happening, but going into the playoffs, every single team was like, ah, who cares? The Bruins are going to kill you anyway. Just that feeling. There's nothing like that this year. You get in there. I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, this is going to sound jaded because I'm an Islanders fan, but if the Rangers lose to whoever the hell is is wild card two or whoever's, if the Toronto lose, I mean, they absolutely can do that. Or if Tampa gets in a wild card and Vasilevsky plays well, upsets the ones, anything is a possibility out east. Uh, in the west, like, you know, it's going to be tough to beat Vegas in, in, you know, as a road team, like going into Vegas with all the players they have playing with that confidence. But then again, I thought that about the avalanche with the cockroach cracking last year, and look what happened. So everything's <laughs> everything's on the table this this season. Another reason to be excited for Isles fans. You are listening to the uh, Red Line Podcast brought to you by Isles Fix. Phil Farber at Phil's Facts, Andy Francis at Andy Francis. Of course, you can uh, follow him and uh, watch his videos on the Andy Francis Show over on YouTube as well. Uh, I am David Tuckman. I want to thank you all for joining us. Phil, any last uh, any last thoughts you want to pop in? This is our longest podcast of the year. Longest Andy podcast talks, ever. So Andy talks a lot. And yeah, he does. Yeah, he's, he's good he's, though. He's, he's right, the reason why short. we're still I tried recording. Cutting you short. I said, "How long is this thing going?" I, I mean, yeah. normally it's a 35-40 minute show. That's all right. We had a lot to cover, and yeah, no, listen, and he's an exciting guest. You're bringing a lot of energy. I, I really like it. I'm, see, I'm usually the energy guy here, so it was nice to, it was nice to kind of just you were just like this jolt of electricity into the show. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. I got all these damn lines I heard through the years that stick in my head. I wish I could delete them. <laughs> But, you know, you don't drag your leg like here, like Igor from Frankenstein. When you show up to do things, it might, you might never do it again. So so at least give it what you got. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Andy. Really appreciate it. That is no going to do it for us, guys. We'll see you next week. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate. And uh, I think we'll have a show next week. But if we don't, we'll see you uh, in the new year. Outside of the Twitter circle, it, there's such an overwhelming consensus about all the things. Like, people I grew up with playing hockey, it, it's not even a question, some of the things. Like, there's never any pushback because it's so obvious to see some of the things. Like, Bailey crippling the power play with turnovers for five years running. And then people not realizing that, oh, because you play on the power play, 
you get just a bunch of free assists because whoever's working around the perimeter, they're going to have their points inflated. And then when you're defending a player, you're going to point to points that actually have no bearing on the actual game. It's just infuriating, but then you remember, oh, this is just somebody screaming, shoot it in the 300 sections. It's like, as soon as you remember that, it's the problem with Twitter in general and all online social media. Like, you take it because it's written. If they, you saw this person on the street, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, because you realize they're just out of their minds. But online, you take a sentence and you say, oh, well, that has to be coming from a normal individual when many times it's not. You know which player was created for the shoot it in the 300 section fan? You, Mike you Riley. Riley. Yeah. That yeah. man, I have never seen that guy turn down an opportunity to shoot. There could be nothing there. He's just launching So tell launching me why his it. shots are always always set at 1.5 instead of 2.5. Right. Oh, why Why is that? I don't know. I think they're going to have to adjust it. Because they don't know. Yeah. Hockey is, is it, with the sports book, hockey is the one who sneaks in the back door. They don't pay enough attention to it because they never lose enough money on it to care.